Hey, good morning, MRCC. We are so glad you've joined us online for Church Online. Yeah, uh, this is an amazing way to be a part of the church right now. And so I wanna encourage you, um, participate in the chat, uh, connect with us on Facebook, uh, talk with people uh, online, because this is a good way to be a part of the church. Thank you for being here. Yeah, amen. And we have a few things going on. Uh, if you're a lady, uh, the Sisters of Strength group is coming together tomorrow Ooh. night, Monday night, 6.30 p.m. right here at MRCC. Yeah. It's great to be gathering together. I know the guys yeah. met last week. We're excited for the girls to connect this week, yeah. have some dinner together, just fellowship. So yes. great. Yeah. Uh, and another way to connect is um, this is really cool class that's going to start soon. You can check it out uh, on the Mount Rainier Christian Center website, mrccnow.org. A guy named Dean Smith is leading a really cool class on forgiveness, and it's a way to connect as well. So check that out, and uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's something, that's, uh, it's something that's, that you need. Right, absolutely. I think these are just great ways to connect, right? Yeah. And especially one of the biggest things we want to connect you with is some sort of a small group, a grow group, home yeah. group, something specific like that where you have maybe five to eight people that you come together with in community and yeah. within the body of Christ. Yeah. So we have a lot of small groups, grow groups that are yeah. meeting together in homes, even here at the church. Uh, if you'd like to get connected, please call the church office. Yeah. We're here during the week. We can get you connected. Um, but let us know too, uh, any way you'd like to be connected. Uh, this is your church family and, yeah. and we want you to be feel welcomed and a part of it uh, the best way we can. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, the last thing that we want to talk about is something that's really cool. Speaking of connection, we're going to do something in person. Uh, again, we have in-person gatherings right now, but we're going to do an event in person that's going to happen on October 31st. Yeah. And so I was going to tell you a little bit about that real quick. <laughs> I'm super excited for it. I know downtown isn't having anything going on this year. So we just decided, hey, let's do something here yeah. uh, on the facility. So we're going to put up a big maze, have some candy, lots of candy. Uh, if you want to be a part of it and help you know we're gonna need a lot of hands because we're gonna yeah. need a lot of duct tape and a lot of people to put this thing together so if you'd like to help please let us know there's a lot you can get done with <laughs> duct tape and people let me tell you <laughs> Uh, but also, we want your kids to be invited from 3 to 5 p.m. on October 31st. Yes. There will be something awesome happening yes. here, and we'd love for you to come. Uh, but, you know, scary costumes, I don't know, maybe. You know what? We won't be scary. You I'll just tell you that. You do what you're going to do. <laughs> I love to scare kids, but, you know. I will say this. For fun, put your favorite costume you've ever worn for an event in the comments during the message. We'd yes, love to see that. Okay, absolutely. Here is uh, the rest of the service. It's going to be great. All right, yeah. Are you ready to worship God together? Woo. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's worship our amazing God. Yes. What is this love that won't relent? That's calling out with heaven's breath. Who's reaching wide to save our souls? Only you. What is this grace that makes no sense? That we could never recompense? Who gives us all a second chance?
between us No power on earth or all creation No life or death can separate us from
that is found in your presence. Yes, we worship you in the midst. Yes, God, we cling to you and your truth ever so tightly in this shaky world. And we respond with holy worship to a worthy God. So, Father, we offer up this worship to you. We ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for joining us in worship today. Oh, yeah, it is well with my soul. That's what Jesus wants you and me to feel. That's what our God, who is our Father, wants us to feel. Let yourself receive that from the Spirit of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. And in fact, it's so beautiful that we would sing that song today, given where we're going in God's Word. I'm just thrilled that you're joining with us here at MRCC to worship today to spend some time in God's Word together. And, and we're going to continue a journey in Philippians that we began last week. I hope you'll, you'll grab your Bible and open it to Philippians chapter 1 this morning as we jump right into what God wants to say to us today. Let me ask you, do you ever catch yourself taking things for granted? I mean, we all do sometimes. It's, it's human nature. We, we become entitled and begin to, to take for granted things that when we really think about it, we ought to give thanks for. All it really takes, though, is a little adversity to shake us out of that sense of entitlement to get us away from, from taking things for granted. I remember a, a couple of years ago when my wife and, and a friend of hers took uh, two weeks and hiked all the way around Mount Rainier on the Wonderland Trail. Two weeks in the back country with her and her best friend. And at the end of it, when I picked her up and brought her home, I'll never forget what she said to me. Uh, being back in civilization, she said, do you know what one of the greatest things in the world is? One of the most beautiful and amazing things mankind has ever invented? I said, what, honey? She said, toilet paper. Toilet paper is from God. Yeah, she'd lost her sense of entitlement. She'd lost her tendency to take things for granted when she was up there on the mountain for all that time. But we have that tendency. All of us do. It's human nature. The ironic thing is that the more we become entitled, the less happy we are. John D. Rockefeller is considered the wealthiest person in modern times when wealth is averaged out over the years. And a reporter once asked him, how much money did he really need in order to be satisfied? And Rockefeller said, just a little more, just a little more. We're like that. That's our tendency. It's our nature. But what if having what we think we want isn't? what we really want. What if that's true? The Greek philosopher Epictetus said it is better to want what you have than to have what you want. And maybe in the end what we really need is to be liberated from the things we think we want. You know many people are filled with anxiety these days, afraid of where this pandemic is going, where the economy is going, where the country is going, what the future holds. Yet the Apostle Paul, who was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, was more free of anxiety than he had ever been. Though he was under a sentence that would end in his death, though he would never leave that prison, he was more at ease than he had ever been. And he wrote from that jail cell about his joy and his faith, about his contentment and his confidence in God and his clear sense of his life's purpose. Not only the purpose itself, but a clear sense of it being realized, of his life's destiny coming true. Even in a prison cell, even when a in a jail cell, 
How was he able to say that? How was he able to feel that? Well, the answer is that he knew his life belonged to God for the gospel. And today the Holy Spirit wants to talk about you and I and where our life belongs. Because when we become too attached to this passing world, we lose the ability to live for the next one, the real one, the eternal one. Let's continue where we left off in Philippians in chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. Paul is writing and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's talking about his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm in this situation because of the mission God has for me in my life, because of the destiny that he's bringing to pass in my life. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Through his experience to this very day, God is speaking to us, to millions like us, even though Paul was in prison. He knew that. He felt that. He rejoiced in that. And what we see him doing here in this moment is evaluating his life in terms of God's mission, not his circumstances. God wants us to be able to do the same thing because it is the root of joy. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps and, and we were taught that we needed to carry out our mission and survival is optional. What a counterintuitive way to go about things. But we understood it because we had taken upon ourselves the responsibility of serving our country. And so we were taught achieving the mission is what matters. Your survival is optional. How thankful we are that many are willing to receive that challenge even to this day. The Coast Guard has a very similar motto. They say you have to go out to rescue people, but you don't have to come back. And yet despite that, that high calling in both of those places, despite that, people continue to volunteer. They continue to choose that kind of life. Why? Because they know it matters. And Paul feels that way about the gospel in his life. He knows that if there's even the smallest chance of him helping someone else hear the message that Jesus rescues people from eternal hell, delivers us from death, and introduces us to God as Father, if there's even the smallest chance, then it's worth prison or persecution or giving up his own plans for his life. And because of that attitude, because of that faith, he sees God's hand at work. He sees his life succeeding, even when he finds himself in prison. Do you feel that way? Are you able to feel that way? Dear friends, feeling that way comes from choosing to own the calling that God has given us. You know, Paul in this moment is, is not just being polypositive. He knows a little something about adversity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes about it. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we've suffered. We were under great pressure, he says, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. This is a man of God describing how he felt in his adversities. Indeed, he says, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But he says this happens so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This happens so that we might learn that our lives at their best are tools to share the good news of God in Christ. He says later in the same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I've been in prison before. I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. No, not in that way. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger 
danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. I have known hunger and thirst. I've been cold and naked. And besides all this, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Yet, despite all that, Paul says, I rejoice. I rejoice because I know that my life is being used for a great purpose, for an eternal purpose. My life is being used for the gospel. In all these things, he sees God's hand because he's given his life to God's mission. Friends, that is the invitation that the Holy Spirit gives to every follower of Jesus Christ, every believer. In all of our different situations, in all of our different circumstances, in every time and place, He gives us that very same invitation. Have you given your life to God's mission in the world? That was the foundation of Paul's joy. You know, Pastor Weston and Stacy are having all the, the no-sleep adventures of first-time parents right now. It's fun for those of us who've been through it to watch happening in somebody else's life. But even with all their sleeplessness and disjointed rhythms at home, you and I both know they don't regret a thing. They don't regret a moment. It matters too much. They have given themselves to being parents. In the same way, Paul has given himself to the gospel. In the same way, we are called to give ourselves to his gospel. You know, our problem is sometimes we haven't done that. And as a consequence, we fear losing so much in this life. But Paul sees his life as given completely to sharing the good news in whatever ways he can, big or small with whoever he finds around him. And he says in the midst of it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What a great feeling to have. God wants you to have that. God wants me to feel that. He wants us to know that reality. I like to tell people who, who sometimes say, oh, Pastor Greg, what a great message, or Pastor Greg, what a great moment that was at church. I always like to remind people, you know, remember, gang, I'm just a sock puppet. Somebody else is making it happen. And in the same way, you are invited to be a sock puppet in your world, to let God have your life for the gospel. Joy comes from stepping over that line, from making that choice, and from feeling the faith that comes from it. Church, God calls you and me to, to this attitude about our lives because it sets us free to point other people to Jesus. You know, many in this day and age have come to think that religious faith is, is the key to the good life, to a, a life of easy success. As if Jesus had said, come, follow me, and your family will turn into a Hallmark movie, and your business will turn into a money machine, and your moods will be warm and fuzzy all the time. Nonsense. In fact, Paul is going to say at the end of this passage in verse 29, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, meaning to share in the hardships of his mission, his destiny, to do hard things that make a difference. Again, I think of our attitude in the Marine Corps. We had chosen this for the benefit of others. Worst and most dangerous of all, some people have come to believe the idea that the Christian life proves that you're a good guy, that you're righteous in yourself, that you're on the right side of history somehow. But dear friends, I warn you about that attitude. It is the road to hell. The Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith. And it is that grace that we receive with thanksgiving that leads to the mission of giving our life to the gospel. Paul knows that his life, hear me now, is an expendable tool that God uses to help other people meet Jesus. That's what Jesus meant when he gave his great invitation. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But in that is a transcendent joy as you see your life become the means whereby God 
points other people to himself, to his love, to his grace, and to his goodness. Paul knows this in his bones, and so he has joy even in prison. You know, the flip side is that when we let ourselves become entitled, we bring ourselves into fear and anxiety. The lyrics of an old song come to mind. When you have so much, you think you have so much to lose. Paul doesn't feel that. He's free from that. He knows that his destiny is bigger. So from prison, he writes of his sense of mission and destiny and meaning. He writes of his life fulfilling its purpose. Now, please understand, the attitude the apostle has here isn't something he mustered up on his own. It comes from being in touch with the truth. Listen to what he says in verses 12 and following. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I apologize, that was verses 15 and following. But what the apostle is revealing here is that his mood doesn't depend on other people. Does yours? Do you find your mood being governed by the behavior of other people, by the words of other people, by the choices of other people? Often, we get discouraged or depressed by, by people who call themselves Christ followers but behave badly or from impure motives. Paul doesn't. He knows there's a bigger truth at work behind such people. He knows that the, the truth of the gospel can work even through those false and faulty vessels. Back in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he put it this way. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The truth of the gospel is the power, not the person bringing it or carrying it or failing to carry it. The gospel doesn't depend on my greatness or your greatness or anyone else's greatness. It is powerful in and of itself. The message is the point. Don't let the failures of people around you in public or in private or your own failures distract you from the simple gospel message that Jesus is the Savior. Because that's the truth. That's what matters. That's what lasts. That's what's eternal. Paul knows that. So even in prison, he is at peace. He is full of joy. He understands what God is doing with his life. You know, Cornell University is one of the most prestigious schools in the country but their football team gets crushed every week. Even so, Big Red fans have the best cheering song in the country. They say, it's all right, it's okay, you'll all work for us someday, and it's true. So despite the fact that their football team is losing, they're free to live in the joy of who they are becoming. They're immune to discouragement because they know the football game isn't what's real. It's what comes after the college they went to prepare for. And in the same way, God calls us to remember that truth because it sets us free, even in prison, to share the gospel, to see God's hand at work in our lives. When you and me remember that the gospel is true regardless of what's going on, we find the freedom to rejoice, even when we're in prison. So Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, verses 18 and following, for I know that through your prayers and the help, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's not speaking of earthly deliverance in this case. He's talking about his eternal destiny. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, even here, even in this situation, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see where he's put all his eggs in the basket of God using his life. When you and I do that, we experience a transcendent, powerful faith that overcomes whatever we're facing. Paul sees his life as a tool to be used by God, not a toy to be hoarded 
for his own entertainment. I was talking with a friend of mine this week whose business has just collapsed since all this Boeing stuff with the airliner and the COVID stuff have combined to really sort of shut down the aircraft industry. And she said she doesn't know if she's going to lose everything or not. It looks like she might lose her business. But here's what she told me as we were discussing this. She said, you know what? If it means I have to be homeless for a while and live in a trailer, no big deal. God's got this no matter what. And he's at work in my life no matter what. Church, that's faith. That's faith. And God speaks through it powerfully. And he reveals himself to those who choose it powerfully. You can feel like this when you know in your soul, as Paul says in verse 21 of chapter, 20, chapter 1, when you know in your soul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's talking about his sense of mission. He's talking about his perception that his life is a tool to be used by God in whatever way God sees fit to help somebody else know God. To live is Christ, he says, to die is gain. Do you believe that, my friends? Lots of people don't. Lots of people want to go to heaven, but not today. But Jesus tells us that going to heaven means losing nothing. Instead, we gain everything once you begin to see your future in those terms. You are set free to feel like Paul did. This means you're free to fear nothing, free to rest in the fact that God's at work in your life no matter what happens, free to stop living in the endless fear of what might happen and live instead in the thrilling anticipation of what will happen. And what do I mean when I say what will happen? Jesus put it this way. He said, I am going, Greg. I'm going, believer, follower, Christian woman, Christian man, I am going to prepare a place for you, the Lord said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. And dear friends, there ain't no prison that can keep you from that destiny if you have given your life to Christ. Ain't no president, no policy, no cancer or collapse of the economy, no governor or gossiping girlfriends or goofy gathering of right-wing, left-wing, rioting nutjobs, no proud boys, no Antifa, no China, no Islamic caliphate, not even the People's Republic of King County, and no viral plagues, and no silly conspiracy theories, and no lying false prophets predicting the rapture every time they want to sell a few books. None of these things can separate us from the glorious gain of death in devotion to Christ and his gospel. None of these things can. And so Paul feels joy and purpose and satisfaction even in prison. Dear church, we can't lose because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We are sealed and saved by the King of Kings, justified and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, adopted as sons and daughters by our Father God who carries around our pictures in his phone and shows them off to angels and to the devil himself because, like the Bible says, we are the apple of his eye. And because his hard-earned grace earned by guts and gritty faith on the cross, not in some million-dollar mansion. That gospel, that power, that, that victory shuts the mouths of lions, quenches the fury of flames, turns weakness into strength, turns sinners into saints, turns giants into corpses, turns really big fish into chartered yachts, and turns prisons into places to prosper your soul, and turns graves into little motel sixes where you stop over for a nap on your way to glory. Most of all, it it turns you and me into people who live to show someone else that God loves them, that God seeks them, and that God is good, and God is here with us, and God's got this wicked mess of a world under control, and he will have the last word, and we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, in all these things, 
we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul knows this. And so he shares his joy and his satisfaction and his sense of destiny, even from a prison cell. He knows what's true. He knows what's been done for him on the cross. He knows what God will do for anyone who turns to Jesus as their Savior. And so he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this view, friends, it doesn't just thrill Paul. It redirects his ambitions. It turns him from a feverish, anxious, self-centered little clod of neurotic fears into a man of God who lives for other people. Look what he says in verses 22 and following. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Why? Because I know that dying is gain. Yet I also know that it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain even in prison. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. In other words, because Paul has given his life for the purpose of the gospel, he lives for other people, for their faith. Church for him isn't a, a big box entertainment store where he shops occasionally for some warm fuzzies. It's his family, his friends, his fellas, his tribe. He's free to feel that because he's given his life to the gospel. That's how you feel when you're not afraid anymore. That's how you can feel when you say to God, God, use my life for the gospel. Use my life for Jesus. And so Paul finishes in verses 27 and following. He says, whatever happens, friends, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ without being frightened in any way. For it has been granted to you on behalf of him, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, for his mission, for what he is up to in the world. Notice what he says, whatever happens. Why? Because whatever happens, he knows, is something that God will use in the life of those who belong to him. Whatever happens, God will use. A lot of us have question marks about this winter, next spring, next year. Paul knows whatever happens, God is going to use me. And that's what I'm all about, he says. So I'm free to live with joy. I want to finish with a story today. James Harrison is a hero. You may not know who he is, but he is a very great hero. He doesn't look like one. We become so accustomed to thinking of heroes the way Hollywood paints them that we've stopped looking for them where they really are. But James, he is a hero. He is a superhero. Because of a little thing that he has done every week for more than 60 years, James has been personally responsible for saving the lives of more than 2 million babies. I'm not exaggerating. You see, every single week for more than 60 years, James has gone to the hospital and donated his extremely rare and unique blood. When he was 14 years old, doctors discovered that he had a very unique antibody in his blood that can be used to make a transfusion plasma called anti-D, which prevents moms and rhesus moms with rhesus-negative blood from developing something called RHD antibodies that attack the fetus during pregnancy. Now this may sound like an unusual condition, but in Australia, 17% of mothers have this deadly antibody in their system.
Up until 1967, thousands of them lost their babies because of it every year. But when James came along, it changed everything. He's 83 years old now and his entire life has been ruled by the need to give what he has to give every week in little ways, in small ways, a trip to the hospital, an hour in the clinic, and two million people alive because of what he did. A reporter asked him a couple of years ago how he felt about having his whole life basically hijacked for other people. You know what James said? He said, it feels good. It feels really good. Church, it's the little things that we do that make all the difference. A letter written in a jail cell, blood given, a friendship built, a message shared. You and me have some very rare and special blood to share, the blood of Jesus. Let us share it with our kids and our grandkids, with our friends and our enemies, our neighbors, and anyone willing to receive it. When you do, when that's what you're about, it transforms everything else. Let us not become so distracted by everything else that we stop giving this precious blood. Paul knew joy because his life was given, because he had given it to Jesus for the gospel in the same way God invites us to give ours. And no one who does ever ultimately fails to see their life made fruitful, made meaningful. James is 83 years old now. He can't give the blood anymore. But the sense of having given it feels good, feels really good. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture that it paints of a man overcoming everything around him because he belonged to your mission. God, teach us the same kind of life. Jesus, teach us the same kind of faith, the same kind of passion. And if you're listening right now and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, know this. Paul was in that prison just to share the simple message that God forgives anyone who receives Jesus as their Savior. That God adopts everyone who simply is willing to receive His Son as their Savior. You can do that right now in this moment, wherever you are, whatever's going on, you simply tell God. He's listening. He can hear you. He can hear your heart. You say in this moment, God, I receive your son Jesus as my savior. And in that moment, you're given eternal life and you are set free to share that same message with somebody else. Father, we thank you for your word, for the encouragement and the direction that your word gives us. Send us back to our jobs, our week, our families, our neighborhood, knowing, knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm glad that you took time to come aside. We're gonna continue our journey through Philippians next week in chapter two, rich, rich stuff. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them. <laughs>